Luke 4, verses 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You can have a seat. Good morning. Happy fall. It is good. I have to say, it's good to have so many of you in second service. And it's really fun to see you in different parts of the room. And it's really throwing me off because some of you are not where you're used to being. I told Nate Steffens I was going to kick a couple of people out of his seat. And then he said, no, it's all right. I'll be all right. Um, But uh, this is great. This is fun to have an added energy to this service. And uh, Great to be with you all. Excited to jump into what we're going to be talking about this fall. So let me do that. You thought you had escaped this picture. You have not. This is a picture I showed you at the very beginning of the summer. The analogy we're running with for most of 2017 is this idea that our lives are like a cup, right? And all day long, you're pouring out this cup in the responsibilities of your life at work, with family, Finance, all these things that are, all these demands that are placed on you. And so this summer we talk about what we need to do is we need to take the cup of our lives and go back to God, the fountain of all blessing, and be filled with him. Regularly go to him in his word, in prayer, in Sabbath, and have our lives filled up so that we might have this deep inner life with God so that then we can then pour that out to others as we go about our days. And so this summer, we talked about cultivating this rich inner life with God. And now this fall, we're going to talk about what does it mean to take that inner life and then move out into the world and offer that to the people around us. And we started in the summer by looking at Jesus' own example of this, this rhythm that he had in his life in ministry where he had this rich inner life with his heavenly father. And he had this, of course, rich outer life in ministry to people. So you'd see him regularly withdraw from the crowds, sometimes even overnight, to pray, to receive guidance, truth from his heavenly father. And then he'd go and live this life of engagement, of love, service, teaching, healing, all the things that he did. And so this fall, we're asking the question, what if we had that same rhythm? What if we had that same rhythm of being filled up and then being sent out to love and serve the way Jesus did. So here's a map of Orange County in 2017. There's a blue circle there that is Grace Fellowship Church. You can see the 405 freeway. I know it's hard to see in the back, but there's the 405 going, and then, of course, the 55. 
So this week, I plotted all of your addresses onto this map. You don't have to do it one at a time, so it doesn't take as long as you might think it would. But here we are. In truth, this is Grace Fellowship Church as of uh, today, more or less. Uh, let me talk you through this for a second. You can, you can tell we are still primarily localized in Newport and Costa Mesa. That's the bulk of you, of us. Uh, but we definitely have a uh, good Huntington contingent. Um, we have a Santa Ana contingent, uh, uh, a big Tustin and Orange contingent. Yeah, you can, yeah, we'll give some shout outs. Yeah. It'll taste great, less filling. It's, it's a, I quoted that the other day for someone. They're like, what is that? I'm like, I'm getting old. Um, we've got spirit. That'd be the better thing to have said though, right? Uh, some of you I don't have on the map, you, you, the Yorba Linda folks, uh, had to zoom in enough, but you're there. Uh, of course, we have a good Irvine contingent and a South County contingent. We got some LBC folks that don't quite make this map, but um, this represents more or less of who we are today. And so what we're talking about this fall is what would it mean for us, where we are, what if we were all cultivating this rich inner life with God? That was the summer. And now... And what if we then were sent out wherever we are to offer this life to others, love and service, grace and truth of Jesus Christ? What would that mean for us? And we could, you know, I could have plotted where we all work, and that would give us a different sampling of where we are. Um, but what does, that, what does that mean? What does it mean for Orange County that Grace Fellowship Church exists? What happens if Grace Fellowship Church and its people just disappeared? What would be the impact on Orange County? Would there be an impact? We're invited into this life of inner life that then gets expressed in this outer life of love and service. So that's what we're going to talk about this fall. The plan is to take a couple weeks just to speak big picture about this theme. Uh, and then beginning in October, we'll look at different contexts where we have the opportunity to love and serve, like in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, uh, in our, the places where we play, in our cities, with the poor and needy, these various contexts that we all have opportunities to to love and serve those around us. So today, we are going to start the way we started the summer series. We're going to start with Jesus. We're going to look at the master at work. We're going to look at how he lived his life, what he did. We're going to see, to use some alliteration, which I'm not fond of doing in general, but it's the start of a new series. Um, we're going to talk about his mission. We're going to talk about his ministry. And we're going to talk about his motivation, Okay. And this is not going to be new to most of us in this room, but hopefully a good reminder, like, who is our Lord? What was he all about? What is his heart in this world? Let's see him in action. So in the summer, we looked at him withdrawing to be with his father. Now we're going to look at his active engagement in the world. So we're going to look at a couple different passages in the Gospels and just take a quick tour of his, his life. So let's start with this first. What was his mission? Um, let's, let's talk about the, the passage that Yvette just read to us, the uh, beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke 4, and I'll put it on the PowerPoint here if you didn't have it with you. The context here is, this is the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, okay? He's been baptized, and now he's gone back up to Nazareth, where he's from, in the Galilean region, where he's going to do his ministry. So this is really his kind of introduction to the world, in terms of, this is my this is me. This is what I'm all about. So on a, on, a, on a Saturday, on a Sabbath, he's in the synagogue, and he has the opportunity to come and do some teaching. And he has the uh, scroll of Isaiah. And so he intentionally flips to this passage in Isaiah. And through Isaiah is saying, 
hey, this is, this is my mission. This is what my ministry is all about. Let me read it again. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Saying, world, here I am, and this is my mission. This is what I'm gonna be all about. And I just wanna look at that for a second. I'm all about preaching good news to the poor, he says. And as you read the Gospels, you, you realize there's lots of different kinds of poverty in the world. Um, there's spiritual poverty, there's financial poverty, and Jesus ministers to people in all sorts of different kinds of poverty. He says, I'm here to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. There's lots of different prisons. And in the Gospels, there are people who are in all sorts of different kinds of prisons, and we watch Jesus freeing them from those prisons. Recovery of sight for the blind. You see Jesus healing physical blindness. You see Jesus healing spiritual blindness. Release for the oppressed, all sorts of different kinds of oppression. But Jesus is saying, this is my mission. This is why I'm here, is to do these kinds of things in the world. I was thinking about other places in the gospel where Jesus very explicitly says, this is why I came. And he doesn't usually get that explicit, but there's about five or six places in the gospels where like, very specifically, this is why I came. I wanna mention three of those to you. This gets at what is his mission? Here's what he says. The son of man came to seek and save what was lost. I came to the world to search for lost people and to find them and to rescue them. It's why I'm here. It's my mission. Here's another one. Uh, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. Now, what he means by that, is I, 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 haven't, called, I haven't come to call people who think they're righteous because really there's no one who's righteous. You say, you know, there's people out there, they think they're righteous. I honestly, I haven't come for them. I've come for the people who know they're sinners, who know they, they have needs. I've come to heal them. One other one. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why I've come. I've come to be a servant, to offer my life for the life of the world. Okay? The mission of Jesus. Again, We've heard this before, but I just want you to you see it again. This is why I'm here. This, these are the things I'm all about. All right, let's look at his ministry now. And what I want to do is just kind of look at a day in the life of Jesus. One example of that. I want you to turn to the beginning of Mark's gospel. Uh, beginning in chapter 1, verse 14. Mark 1, 14. I want you to just get a, a, a picture of the kinds of ministry he was doing while he was here. Uh, verse 14, this is the beginning of his public ministry in, according to Mark. Uh, verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So he's got this message of a kingdom that's come. He is the king and he's offering an invitation for people to join his kingdom. In verse 16, he begins calling disciples. He takes these four fishermen by the Sea of Galilee and he calls them and says, I don't want you to be fishermen anymore. I want you to actually come with me and fish for people. And they enter into his, his team of disciples. Then in verse 21, my guess is this is another day along the Sea of Galilee. They enter Capernaum, which is a town on the Sea of Galilee. Some of us in this room have been to Capernaum or what's left of it. 
Uh, and the Sabbath came, and Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. So he's, he's teaching on a Saturday in the synagogue. The people are amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. And then in verse 23, there's a man who is possessed by a spirit in the synagogue, and the spirit is crying out, and, and Jesus heals this person, and everyone's amazed at his power. Then in verse 29... It says, as soon as they left the synagogue, okay, so put this at, you know, noon on a Saturday, uh, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, and Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. So then Jesus goes up to the bed, and he heals Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, uh, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So it's just amazing ministry at night. And then in verse 35, you get this little moment of withdrawal that we focused on this summer. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed, okay, getting filled up by his father, receiving feedback and guidance from his father. Verse 36, and then Simon and his companions went to look for him. In verse 38, he says, okay, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. I'm exhausted just reading that, okay? Um, that is a lot of ministry, teaching, healing, calling, hanging with, loving, serving, all that to say, he gave us his mission in Luke, and now you see him doing the very things that he said, this is what I'm here to do. He's got this ministry to this broken, needy world, this heart to heal and love and serve and teach and restore. And then thirdly, I want to talk about his motivation. And you don't often get windows into his own heart. You get his words and his actions, but every once in a while, one of the Gospels will give us this little window into what Jesus is actually feeling. And I want to go to one of those passages. You don't have to turn there. I'll just put it up on the screen here. This is Mark 9, 35 through 36. Uh, excuse, excuse me, Matthew. Um, uh, we get a similar kind of summary statement as what we just heard going on in Mark. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Okay, very, what we just saw. And then you get this great little window into his heart. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So I've got an image from one of these like 1960s Jesus movies uh, where you've got Jesus up front and you've got these, you know, first century Galilean peasants, workers, villagers coming to him. And the passage says when Jesus saw the crowds, he noticed something about them. Two things. He said, they're harassed. And we don't know what they're harassed by. We can make some assumptions. They were, at the time, harassed by Rome, by the Roman government. They were living uh, as occupied people. Uh, they were harassed, I think, by the religious leaders of the day, by the very legalistic religion of their day that placed heavy burdens on people. It was very guilt-based uh, performance-based religion. I'm sure many of them were just harassed by life. Uh, they're harassed, and Jesus, he looks at them, and he notices that they're helpless. And they maybe didn't experience themselves as helpless, but when Jesus looked at their deepest needs, he realized these people, they cannot 
help themselves in the deepest ways they need help. They cannot save themselves in the deepest ways they need saving. In short, he looked at them and said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. That's, they're like a flock of sheep with no shepherd to lead them. And he has this shepherd's heart. And so the word, the key word in this passage is it says, he felt what? Compassion on these crowds. Compassion. The Greek word, the original Greek word in scripture for that is, is the root of that word is the word uh, that we would translate as the guts. <laughs> so that is Jesus, he felt something in his guts for these people. It's a, kind of a visceral word. We would today use the word heart. We would say his heart went out to him. His heart ached for them. He had compassion. That word compassion is a word that Jesus uses in two of his most famous parables. Okay? First parable is the parable of the Good Samaritan. You guys know the story about this Jewish guy who's going down to Jericho and some robbers are on the road and they jump him and they take his stuff. They beat him up. They leave him for dead. He's laying on the side of the road for dead. And then these two religious guys come by, right? These two Jewish religious guys come by and they see him and they're like, yeah, I'm not going to deal with that for whatever reason. They pass by. And then you have a Samaritan who is one of the sworn enemies of Jews walking by. But he sees this man broken and, you know, bloodied and maybe unconscious. And it says, and he felt compassion. His heart went out to this man in desperate need. And that compassion led him to do this really remarkable thing with an enemy and basically take care of him at his own expense and get him back on his feet. Uh, The other parable is uh, the parable of the prodigal son. The story of a younger son who takes the inheritance uh, before it's time and leaves his father's house and then squanders the inheritance on reckless living and decides, I got nothing left. I got nothing better. Maybe I should try to go back to my father's house and beg. And most of you know know the story. It says, while he was a long ways off, his father was at home and saw him coming from a long ways off. And it said he felt compassion. He saw his son, (laughs) tattered, probably really skinny, hadn't eaten for a long time, bruised up, and his heart ached for his son. And that compassion moved him to do something that was very uh, countercultural for a first century patriarch, which is basically grab his you know, flock and just run off to his son and, and throw his arms around him and smother him with kisses. Compassion is the word. And Jesus has this compassion for the crowds. That's his motivation. Another motivation I just want to mention before turning this to us today, he's motivated by the brokenness in people and his compassion to help them. The other thing he's motivated by that you see in scriptures is the joy that he experiences when broken people are healed, when lost people are found. And if you read the gospels, you, you can't miss the tone of joy that goes through them. And, and you see it especially in these, these dinner parties that are thrown regularly for Jesus by these notorious sinners, you know, and, and the religious leaders are all, you know, they're, they're having a hard time that Jesus is engaging these people and having such a good time with them. But it's, it's a celebration of, of lost people being found. I want to show you one passage that shows that. Um, Luke 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, in quotes, were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus goes on to tell them three stories. He says, let me, let me get you inside of my heart. Let me get you inside of the Father's 
heart. And he tells three stories about lost things being found and the celebration that takes place when lost things are found. He says, let me tell you a story about a shepherd who's got 100 sheep and he loses one sheep. And he leaves the 99 back at the fold and he searches out the lost sheep. And when he finds that lost sheep, he brings it back into the fold and he calls his friends and he celebrates. My lost sheep has been found. Let me tell you a story about a woman who has 10 valuable coins and she loses one of those coins. And so what she does is she, she sweeps the house clean and she turns all the lights on and she searches under all the tables. And when she finds that coin, she gets it and she calls her friends and says, celebrate with me, I found my coin. Let me tell you the story about a father, the story I just told you, who has two sons. And he lost one of his sons, his younger son. But his younger son came back. And when he did, his father celebrated and he threw a party and he killed the fattened calf and this beautiful party for his son. And Jesus is saying, that is my heart. There is such joy when lost people are found. Here's how he ends two of those parables. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. God celebrates when lost people are found. I celebrate when lost people are found. All right, so that is just a, a quick overview of his, his mission and ministry and motivation. You've got this life that was poured out for this broken needy, lost world. And what you see in the Gospels is Jesus taking this rich inner life that he had with his father and then bringing that into the world and offering that love and grace and truth to those around him. Okay, so let's turn this to today. I've got a question for you, and it's pretty rhetorical because I think we all know the answer, but I think it's still worth asking. So we see this is what Jesus was about. This is what he cared about. This is what he was up to in the world. And the question is this. Uh, does Jesus still have the same heart today? Like, is his mission, is his ministry, is his motivation, is it still fundamentally the same today? Let's put today back up here. Is this still what he's about? Is this still what he cares about? And my assumption is, of course, absolutely. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is still his heart for this world. And so I was picturing this week him looking at the crowds, okay? Not now of first century Galileans, but of 21st century Orange Countyans, okay? But looking at the crowds today with the same heart that he's always had. Let me give you a couple of pictures of the crowds today. These are places you might recognize. Where's that? Oh, see, fair? Yeah, Jesus looking out at the crowds here with that same heart, that same mission. Uh, where's that? The mall. South Coast Plaza, yes. All right? That is South Coast Plaza. Oh, here's one more that we all enjoy. <laughs> 2,000 years later, okay, different time, different contexts, Things don't change too much. Harassed and helpless. <laughs> like sheep without a shepherd. <laughs> I think he looks at the crowds today with the same heart of compassion and the same joy when lost people are found. And yes, um, there are many different kinds of prisons, right? 
There are many different kinds of poverty. There are many different kinds of blindness. There's many different kinds of oppression. But Jesus continues to have the same heart of compassion for the brokenness of this world and the same joy when people find his kingdom. And so it was just, for me, it was so interesting just to try to set his mission in today's context. I mean, even to think about the things that he said then and imagine what that means for him today. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Okay, so what does that mean for you today? And even to ask the WWJD question, like if if Jesus, if you had not come 2,000 years ago, but if you had come today to Orange County with the same mission and, and heart, what would that, like what would you be doing? If this was your mission, if this continues to be your mission, what would that mean if you lived here? Who would you be hanging out with? What would you be doing? How would you be spending your time? What kinds of conversations would you be having? I haven't come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. What would that mean for you here in this time? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His heart has not changed in 2,000 years, right? The difference is, of course, he is, his body is not here, right? He was raised and he, went, he returned to heaven. That's the difference. But the New Testament reality is, of course, well, in one sense, his body is still here because we are the body of Christ, right? That's what the New Testament calls us. And I assume that at least means in some way we are the tangible, physical expression of Jesus Christ on earth as his physical body is in heaven. His spirit is at work and we are one of the tangible physical expressions of Jesus. And as his body, we are to embody (laughs) his mission and his values and his heart. That's what he said to his disciples, right? After he was raised, right before he went to heaven, he said this to them, as the Father sent me, so I'm now sending you. The Father sent me on a mission. We get our word mission from that word sent, by the way. The Father sent me on a mission. Now I'm sending you, not on a new mission, but on a continuation of my mission. More famously, go and make disciples of all the nations. Right? We are his body today, which is a scary thought. And the question we're going to be posing all fall is this. As his body, how do we continue in his mission, in his ministry? And how do we have the motivation that he had when he was here? And I just want to acknowledge right on the first week that for me, that's a very uh, convicting question that raises certain issues in my own life that are convicting. I I came across this quote online. I found it. I put it in my Word doc, and then I went back to find it again. I couldn't figure out who it was from, so I don't know who this is from. I believe everything I I read online, though, so I think it's pretty good. Um, uh, Let me read it. Many Christians today do not appear to be preoccupied with the purpose for which the Messiah came but rather are preoccupied with making sure that they cover every little area of their life so that it can become utterly fulfilling in the way that they wish it could be. It's so easy, and I relate, it's so easy for the church to become preoccupied with its own comfort and become indifferent, apathetic, and self-centered. 
And I, I relate to that, this desire for satisfaction, this desire for comfort. And in that, life is already full. And it's hard to have a heart that is open to the needs around me, whether it's on my street or in my city or wherever, when I'm really just trying to piece together my own life and, and kind of make it work as best as I can. And so there's a conviction that comes from this question. But I, I, I want to tell you up front at the beginning of this series, just to let your guards down, this, is, this series is not going to be about uh, inducing guilt in us, okay? This is not going to be a guilt-based, like, we got to do more, we got to get out there, what are you guys doing in your seats, okay? It's not going to be that. I just want to say it up front. And I, there's such a high potential for guilt inducement in a, on a series on outreach, okay? If you want to feel a Christ, make a Christian feel guilty, just say, how are you doing on reaching your, you know, your neighbors with the love and truth of Jesus Christ? When was the last time you had a conversation about Jesus? I was like, oh, you know? So... <laughs> That is not what this series is going to be about. What it is going to be about for the whole fall is about presenting us with the opportunities that God places around us every day, the opportunities to continue in the mission of Jesus. And it's going to be about sharing the stories of how God's people are at work in this world from you all. And there's Wonderful stories in this body of how people are reaching out to their neighbors and their coworkers and the people that they hang with and, and all of so it's gonna be about providing and revealing the opportunities and sharing the stories. And hopefully as we hear the stories, it will spur us on. We'll be like, yes, oh I could do that. I could do that. So that's that's how this is gonna go. That's gonna be the tone of this whole thing. So I wanna leave you today with a thought that I think hopefully is in line with that tone. And I just want to speak personally about my own uh, process in this whole thing. This is kind of a, this has been a, about a year or two that I've been processing this. And because um, I, I, you know, the outreach thing for me is, I wouldn't say I'm like, this is my thing. I'm not great. I feel like I have a ministry to Christians a lot, and it'd be easy for my life to just stay that way. Um, and so the question for myself is, what what is going to motivate me? What's going to pull me out into also looking out at the people who don't know Jesus that are all around me? What, what's going to actually do that for me? What's going to get me out of this life of comfort and personal fulfillment into this, this mission of Jesus? And I think for me it's this. It actually probably isn't that in the first instance my heart is going to be changed and all of a sudden I'm going to have this compassion for all these people. You can ask my wife. I'm a pretty heartless guy. Um, so I don't know if my heart's going to just go like, all of a sudden I care about these people. But here's been the motivation for me this last year. I love Jesus. I really love him. And I'm so compelled by who he is. And, and I want more of him in my life. I want to know him. I want to experience him more uh, than I have. I want to be where he is. And I, I'm convinced, I'm convinced he is who he said he is. And I'm convinced that Life is found in him. And, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about the question, like, what's the good life? Like, we, every human being in Orange County in 2007 is trying to answer that question. What's the good life? Everyone's in pursuit of the good life. Everyone just kind of defines the good life differently. But I'm absolutely convinced that in the end, the good life really is found in Jesus Christ. Like, all things considered, the good life is truly found in Jesus. He said, I come. I'm not trying to rob you of life. I've come that you would have life. I want to give you fullness of life. And I'm convinced 
that the good life is found in Jesus Christ. And for me, the motivation is, you know where Jesus Christ is? You know where his heart is? It's out in the world with the lost and the broken and the needy. That's where he's at work. And of course, he's here too in the church. He's in my family. He's ever, but, but he has this particular heart and compassion for those that are out that don't know him. He's searching so that he might bring them into his fold. And if that's where he is, that's where I want to be <laughs> because I want to be with him. That's what I want most of all. This is a really bad analogy, but you know like when you first started dating somebody, those of you who are married, you first started dating your spouse or even those of you who aren't, you, you first start dating somebody, you just want to be with them, right? You just want to be together. And so because of that, in those first six months, you find yourself doing things you wouldn't normally do, right? Like, John, I didn't know you liked the theater, you know? Well, um, you know, I didn't know you loved the Lakers as much as you do, you know? Um, but you're kind of, I want to be where she is. I want to be where he is. And, and it's kind of like that for me. It's like, Jesus, I'm seeing, that's what you do. That's where you're, you're at. I want to be there. We sang earlier, just a closer walk, right? Just a closer walk. It's a prayer. I want to, I want to have a closer walk with you, Jesus. Well, guess where Jesus is walking these days? He's walking into a world of, of where people are hurt and broken and needy because he wants to offer his love and truth to them. And so I want to walk where he is. Many of us have been Christians in this room for a long time. And here's what I think. I think for many of us, what is going to be the thing that, that continues to deepen our relationship with Jesus? What's going to be the thing after 20, 30, 40 years that helps us have a, have a deeper understanding and encounter with him? My guess is it's not going to be just one more Bible study or one more church service, though those are important things. But my guess is it's going to be walking with him into this world in a new way where we say, Jesus, I think this is where you are, so I'm gonna show up. Honestly, I don't, I don't know how to help some of these things. I don't know that I have the resources, but I wanna say, here I am. I wanna be with you on this mission. I wanna be available to you. And then we start seeing him show up. And he's not gonna show up in the ways we think. Sometimes maybe he, it won't feel like he sh showed up. But we will be in an experience where we begin to see his heart and his passion and see him at work in new ways. I think that is going to be the thing that for many of us is going to lead to a closer walk with him, which I think in the end will lead to the good life, much better than a life of comfort and self-fulfillment. Not an easier life, right? But the good life. I think of those four fishermen how many times in the three and a half years of public ministry, ministry with Jesus, how many times those guys must have said, I wish I just stayed in the boat, <laughs> you know? Why did I get out of that boat? Not easier. But in the end, they would say, I would not trade this. I wouldn't trade this for the world. This is life. In you, there's life. And I want life, and I want Jesus, and that's where Jesus is. And so I want to follow him there. So I want to offer that to you as a possible motivation to dive in this fall with me. I want to leave you with this encouragement this week. Don't change your life. Don't do anything different. But just go through your week and ask the question, Jesus, uh, where's your heart in this situation? Jesus, what, what are your eyes? What, what do you see in this situation? As you, you get out of your house, you get into your car before work in the morning, and you're looking at your street or your apartment complex. Jesus, what are you thinking about on this street? What do you care about? What would you like to see happen 
on this street. As you move into your office, right, your place of work, Jesus, what, what would you want? What are you wanting to see happen here? As you go to your kids' sports games and hang out with the crowds, Jesus, what, what do you want about? Would you say, give me eyes to see situations the way you see them. Give me a heart uh, that sees and feels what you feel. That's the, that's the encouragement. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that your mission has not changed 2,000 years later. And many of us in this room are evidence of that fact, that you still have a heart for the broken, the needy, the lost, the harassed and helpless, which is what all of us were at one point and are still in many ways. And yet for so many of us, you have, you have reached out, you've sought us out, you have called us by name, you have taken us from darkness and brought us into the light of your kingdom. And many of us live in the, in the fruit of that every day, even when we forget it. So would you fill us with the gratitude and the joy of being found? And then would you, this fall especially, would you open our eyes to see what you see? Open our hearts to feel what you feel, that we might embody your mission in our own ways, according to our own gifts, in our own particular situations. Lord, empower us by your spirit this week to love and serve those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.